1: From baseball's top personalities. The Hall of Famer, one of the great TV broadcasters, Bob Casas is here on A's Cast Live. To the A's
0: legendary players.
1: Five time Major League Baseball home run champ, Mark McGuire is with us here. You never know what stories you're going to hear. You just thinking about it to lunch and run with our shirts off. <laughs> <laughs> you insane. This is A's Unfiltered
0: with Chris Townsend.
1: Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We're going to talk to the manager of the Las Vegas Aviators, Fran Reardon. We're going to speak with Steve Rodriguez, who was a great college baseball player, former head coach of Pepperdine and Baylor, and now the hitting coach for the University of Texas. He was Shea Langelier's head coach at Baylor. We're going to learn about the backstop and from ESPN. You see him in the morning on the morning show get up. The great Paul Hembakides is going to be with us. Hembo. But we'll start with the manager of the Aviators, Fran Reardon. Fran, I don't know if you got called this, but we, 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 we said earlier today you're one of the greatest leader of men we have ever seen. The great Fran Reardon.
2: <laughs> well, thanks. I mean That means a lot. How are you? How have you been? I've been good. I've been good. Just uh, here in Sacramento, getting ready to play the the River Cats tonight.
1: Well, you, you, I, I know how much these conversations have, what they mean to you, and you've had them over the years. And it's one of the great things about your job when you got to tell Shea Langeleers that he's going to the big leagues. What was it like?
2: It was it was incredible. I mean, Shea's such a such a great dude, such a great player, and. You know, his teammates love and respect him so much and what he does on the field and what he does off the field to be able to give a guy that news for the first time and to, to see the shock, the the enjoyment, the culmination of uh, an entire life of really hard work to get to the point that he was at. And then the realization that it's happening, you know, and to see all of those emotions go across a, a man's face in the matter of 10 seconds is like you said, the best part of my job. And, uh, you know, it was, it was really special to tell Shea he was going up
1: and he's really earned it too. When you look at the standpoint of how long he's been down there with you, uh, what he did in the futures game, the, the season that he's having, You know, I mean, he. You look at the numbers. We talked to you. We talked to you a long time ago about how fast he is on Statcast. I mean, wouldn't you say his production and everything he's done and the time that he spent there for you, he's earned this promotion?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, that's that's one thing that he has been so great at this year. You know, you you look at his numbers, you look at the overall body of work, but you look at. The consistency and to, to see the consistency, consistency that he displays, you you do have to watch him play every day, but it's there every day. He brings it every day. He doesn't take days off. He doesn't take pitches off. He doesn't take innings off. He doesn't give away at bats. He's always the same guy. And when you're, you're looking at a young player, if you're looking at a, a catcher that's going to have a, a great major league career, Uh, I think that's the one word that you have to put at the forefront when you describe Shea is his consistency, his consistency in manner, his consistency in play, and the fact that you can trust him to do whatever needs to be done on a baseball field to help a team win.
1: How good do you think, or what do you think the ceiling is for him offensively?
2: You know, I think that he's only going to get better with time, with experience, with at-bats, seeing pitches, Um, uh, you know, figuring out what his zone is, where he can do the most damage. And he's made it a point to work on that. And he's been consistent in his work, consistent in his routine. So you talk, you talk about his ceiling. uh, I think the sky's the limit for him as far as being an offensive catcher. Um, He has power. Uh, His swing is simple and leveraged. And he, he, you know, uses his lower half really well to drive the baseball. And most importantly, he consistently hits the ball hard. And if you're consistently hitting the ball hard and you have a simple leverage swing that's got strength, you're going to have success. And I I think that he's going to have a lot of success offensively.
1: How often do you have a guy that you're watching him every day and you're writing the lineup card out and you basically say to yourself, hey, there's nothing else this guy can do down here. I mean, this guy's ready. How often does that happen?
2: You know, it's... it's tough to say instance wise, because you, you have guys that are hot for a week. You have guys that are hot for two weeks, but it happens when you see a guy consistently perform over a month and a half, two months, three months, an entire season, where you ask your question, okay, this, this guy's done everything that the the organization, that this team, that the Oakland A's have asked him to do. And my opinion is that he's ready to, to get an opportunity in the big leagues. And, uh, You know, that was definitely the case for Shea. He's been big league ready for a while now, but, you know, I think he did need to be seasoned up a little bit more as far as getting the at-bats in AAA, and I think it's only going to help him further along in his career. But, yeah, it does happen every once in a while where you're just looking at your lineup and you're looking at the quality of play on any given player who happens to just be very consistent over a couple months and say, okay, this guy's ready. Let's go.
1: Now, the question, obviously, with Big Murph being the catcher and and Shea is going to be the DH tonight, we just had his college coach on. We know that and at Baylor he did play a few games in the outfield. So if he is not to play catcher, where do you think you could fit him on the diamond so we can get that bat into the lineup?
2: Well, the, the beauty about Shea is athleticism. Yeah, you know, he's a he's a catcher by trade. It's something that he's worked his entire life to be elite at. But he's so athletic, you could you could put him in a corner outfield position. He would need some work, and to do it in the big leagues, maybe a little bit of a stretch. But he's so athletic that he could get acclimated to left field, right field, first base. Um, you, you hit some ground balls at him, and maybe put him at third base in a pinch. But you also have something special defensively behind the dish. And believe me, I'm well aware of. Of Murph's abilities back there. I've managed him quite a bit coming up through our system and he's the best. He's 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 an incredible player. Um, So, yeah, to to figure out a way to get both Murph's catching his bat and and shades bat into the lineup. That's going to be a a puzzle that that Kotz is going to have to kind of figure out and put together. But it's uh, it's a good problem to have.
1: Well, Soderstrom, Susack, we got other guys coming your way. We're going to need to make some rule. We can play more than one catcher a game.
2: Well, you, you have athletic catchers, and then you have flexibility. We went through a stretch last year in, in Las Vegas where we had four catchers on the roster. And every, <laughs> every one of them played every day for three weeks in different spots. So, you know, if, if there's a way to figure out how to get these guys in the games, we'll do it.
1: We got a buddy who's a veteran broadcaster that has said multiple times, and I'm just, and I don't know the answer to this. I, I want to get your opinion, who has said that the divide between the big leagues and Triple A is bigger than it's ever been. Do you agree with that?
2: I, I do, based on based on what I've seen the last couple of years, um, and I, I don't know how. How it relates to the pandemic? I don't know how it relates to guys missing a, a, a full year in 2020 if they they weren't attending an alternate site. Uh, but the the divide is is a little bit greater than I've seen it before, where you have guys that are doing really well here and they're going up, and then they they experience you know struggles um, for whatever reason. On uh, just like everything, everything is individual player dependent, so you can't just put all the guys in a box and say well the the divide is so huge but for the most part i would have to agree with that sentiment
1: yeah it's interesting cuz yeah i mean you, you see certain guys and you go wow this guy's hitting 400 wow this guy's hitting 380 they're bombs everywhere and then you know they come up and that 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 doesn't happen just wanted to get your opinion on that waldo another guy from the yankee trade st mary's here in the bay area what have we seen from him, and how does he look when we talk about being potentially big league ready?
2: Yeah, you know, stuff-wise, uh, he's got great stuff. Um, he's got a good fastball that, that plays a little bit up from the, the velocity, which is good already. Uh, he's got a good breaking ball, a good change-up. It, it's just a matter of time with him, and he just needs to be, re- you know, refined a little bit and uh, to smooth, up, smooth out the edges. And I, I think when he does get his first opportunity in the major leagues, he's he's going to be a good one because he knows what he's doing, and you can tell what a competitor he is, and you can you can tell that he's got a really bright future ahead of him just based on his his couple stars that he's had here so far. How is Christian Pache doing? Pache is really working hard and making the adjustments that's going to get him back to the big leagues and and keep him a productive player in the big leagues. You know, everyone knows about his defense and. And how elite that is and and how much pride he takes in in his defense and he he's really doing the same thing offensively as far as trying to make the adjustments to use the whole field to to get a good pitch to hit and not miss it and to to not expand and there's there's been a lot of positive flashes with christian and i i think it's only going to get better the more at bats he gets and the fact that he's getting these at bats and and a little bit less of a a pressure cooker I think is going to help his career because, you know, you remember that he's a pretty young kid and he's got tremendous ability, tremendous physicality, and he's going to be a really good player for a really long time. Uh, He's just doing a really nice job here of working towards the adjustments that he knows he needs to make. Take
1: us through that. So you have a player that was up at the big league level. We know has talent. We hope he's a big part of our future. He struggles. He gets sent back down. I'm sure David Force and everybody talked to you about what he needs to work on to try and get him back to the big league level. Just take us through that process, how it works with the Oakland A's.
2: Well, the communication with not only the front office, but the major league coaching staff is very good. Uh, when a player goes goes down or gets called up, and that's something that is very important as far as the development of the player when they get sent down, whether it's a pitcher and we're getting notes and videos and recommendations of drills from Emo, or if it's a hitter, we're, we'll hear from, you know, Cots and Tommy and, and Crony about the, the things that they're working on to make them successful and what they need to do once they get to A to execute those plans. And then when a player gets sent down from AAA, you know, they come to my office. Hey, how you doing, Fran? Hey, good. My first question is always, okay, what's next? What are we going to do? How are we going to get you to where you want to go? How are we going to get you back to the big leagues? Uh, what are the things that that you need to focus on that's going to help your career, that's going to help your progression, that's going to help your development? And then holding them accountable to do those things. And the, the players that come with the attitude of, okay, I'm here, let's go, let's work, let's let's grind. Those are the ones that don't stay here long, and those are the ones that when they, they go back up, you hope that the work they put in here in the minor leagues has prepared them to be productive major league players. And I think we've seen that quite a bit here. You know, just uh, um, over the course of the season, over the course of the time I've been in AAA, it's something that's very important because I don't want these guys here any more than they want to be here. You know, Las Vegas is a great place to play. Great stadium, great town, but they want to be in the big leagues. So I think it's important that we have that communication with the big league front office, the big league staff, and we can get them on the right path to get them back to where they want to be, which is playing in the major leagues. It's
1: such an interesting job and it's so important and it's so rewarding. I mean, here you are, you still have to manage. You still want to win games, I mean, where you guys are in second place, you're about to start getting ready for playoffs and everything. But your job, as you know it, and what you want more than anything, is to help this player live out his dreams in the big leagues. It's like your job is like, man, I'm trying to help you get to your dreams. That's like such a cool part of your job.
2: Yeah, <laughs> we talked quite a bit about this over the, the years, and, and it's the best part of the job. It, it is the most rewarding part of the job. Um, and to, to use a metaphor, it's like a double-edged sword, except one side of the sword is much sharper than the other, and that side is getting the players to the big leagues, and the other side of the sword is winning and creating a winning atmosphere so that when they go up, they're also winning baseball players that can help Oakland win games. And you you just said it perfectly. It is the most rewarding part of the job, and I, I think that the two go hand in hand. Just one is a little bit more important than the other. And that's the development of the player so he can be a productive major leaguer.
1: There's other guys who are having good seasons for you. Who are some of the guys you think potentially and we're about to hit September two with some call ups, who do you think the guys that potentially could be coming up?
2: Well, I I mean I, I we we lack the blue chip prospects uh, that that um, really could be in that conversation now that now that Shea has made the made the move to the major leagues. But you know we fight we, we have a lot of guys having great years. You look at uh, Vince Fernandez. You look at Nate Mondu. Billy McKinney has has done nothing but really really positive things since he got sent back to AAA. Um, you know, like you said, we have uh, Waldechuk, who's who's getting close to being ready. Uh, Garrett acton, you know a guy with a, a high 90s fastball and a pretty good change up in slider that you know is just trying to work work to tighten up some things in his in his command and hopefully he'll be ready soon but it doesn't just stop with the guys that have gone up in the last couple of weeks. I think we have some other guys that could help the major league team here as well.
1: And then, of course, it's also about winning games. And boy, you got a fantastic ballpark. You got the great fan base. And as you said, you're in SAC. You're gonna have a day off on Thursday, and then Sacramento comes to town. Uh, a couple weeks left in August, and then September, and it's playoff time. I mean, how's your ball club looking right now? Are you start getting in that? All right, we're starting to see the finish line and the finish line. Well, at the end of the finish line is
2: playoffs. Well, that's the mentality here, and that's, that's you know, every day, that's the the focus that we have. We've had a lot of uh, roster flux in the, in the last month, two months, pretty much all season, but that's to be expected in a AAA season, and the mentality is whoever is here is who we have, so let's go. Let's go and compete, and let's go and, and play hard every inning, every out, until the last out is made, and that's the mentality that, that we're always going to have, you know, if we can go on a little run here and make, make some some ground up against Reno, I think we're going to put ourselves in a good spot to be there at the end.
1: I know it may sound weird, but I love that because it's like, as a coaching staff, we're always coaching, we're always preparing to win. Guys are going to come up, guys are going to go down, but whoever in these uniforms should know you're getting a hell of an opportunity. And everybody needs to seize the moment. And when do you seize that moment? You seize it today. You seize it tomorrow. Whenever I ask you, whenever I put you in the lineup. To me, I know some people would hate that, but I'm like, man, this is the land of opportunity. Let's go get it.
2: That's exactly what it is. And that's what we talk about here all the time is opportunity. And the opportunity that each person in that clubhouse has been given on any given day, whether they're in the starting lineup, whether they're coming out of the bullpen, whether they're taking the bump for the, for the start, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You always have to be ready and you always have to be ready to perform at a championship major league level. And that's the goal of uh, this ball club every day.
1: Well, it's always fantastic to have you on the program. And I know every single time we have these guys come up, they say nothing but the best about you. You mean a lot to them. And uh Shea making his debut. Another guy, uh, living his dreams, and hopefully he'll be here for a long, long time. Good luck the rest of the way, and we'll talk to you come playoff time.
2: All right. Thanks for having me.
1: Fran's a good man. We always love having him on A's Cast Live. Let's learn about Shea Langeliers from his former head coach at Baylor, Steve Rodriguez. Steve, are you there?
0: Yes, sir, I am. How are you today?
1: I'm doing great i'm I'm trying to tell everybody what kind of baller you were back in the day with the pepperdine waves as uh uh <laughs> I'm a relic myself. I played against you in college and trying to tell everybody, All-American, you guys won the national title, you were on ESPN. I mean, you had a great college career. You got to the big leagues. Now you've been a coach for a long time. So I've been trying to build you up, telling everybody what kind of player you were. You were fantastic, <laughs> and I know as a coach you've had a lot of success. And I know this has to mean a lot to you, one of your players, is debuting tonight, Shea Langeliers in Major League Baseball. It's a big deal.
0: It's a really big deal. And I'll I'll tell you what, um, you know, there's very few, I mean, college coaching is such a great and rewarding occupation just because you, you literally get to change kids' lives. You have an opportunity to, be very influential uh, with where they are in their life and, and getting them on like the right track to regards to work ethic in regards to failure and overcoming things and uh, being able to do that. And it's been a lot of fun. And I, I tell people all the time um, when you get a kid who's called up to the big leagues, uh, there's, there's a sense of pride in it just because, you know, Everything that that young man has gone through in his college career and in his high school career, and sometimes in his professional career, and you start to realize how hard they worked and the success that they had and some of the ups and downs and the things they they had to grind through. And then they get to uh, get that phone call and say, hey, you're getting called up to the big leagues. Uh, Those are just amazing things. Shay called me last night. Um, I always have a rule that says after you call your parents, when you get called up, you better call me. <laughs> and so he called, and I was like, either you know, either somebody's pregnant or he got called up. So, uh, and what's funny is he he said that exact thing. He's like, Coach, I owe you a phone call. And I I just started screaming, and he was laughing. And um, but it was such a neat it was a neat phone call. And I want I want to try to get up there tomorrow to go see him.
1: Well, you know, when you have a player you know and i think about you as a coach you got certain guys you love who are just great college players and they help you win games and you know they're getting their education and they're going to go off to be great young men and have uh be productive people in society but then you got players who you know uh, you know from your time being in the big leagues and in minor league baseball you you kind of can see wow this guy's going to have a shot when did you know Shea was a guy that's going to have a shot at having a career. It's not always easy, doesn't always work out, but he's going to have a shot at it.
0: I'll tell you what, um, when he was a freshman and I saw him throw down the first couple times, uh, the fact that, I mean, he has tremendous arm strength, uh, but the fact when, when he, I mean, he started as a freshman at Baylor, um, you know, in the big 12, uh, against some, I mean, outstanding competition, he was our starting catcher. And when you saw him really take over the game from behind the plate, um, the accuracy which, which, uh, what he would throw and, uh, down to second base and just the sheer amount of runners he would throw out while the guy was still running, um, not even sliding yet. And it was at that time when guys would, when schools, when schools would stop running against you, just because. They didn't want to run into outs. Um, that's when you knew you had something pretty special back there, and he was doing that from his freshman year on.
1: And the bat obviously has played in minor league baseball. I mean, it's tough to look at the numbers, especially at A, where everybody seems to hit. So it's like that. the hitters are not as good as their numbers, and the pitchers aren't as bad as their numbers. It's just the way it works with Vegas and the desert air and play, <laughs> playing in elevation and wind and other spots. But what are we getting offensively?
0: Offensively, I'll tell you what, his, the, his last year, I mean, the last couple of games, even when we were in the regional, I think he had 11 RBIs, three home runs. Uh, you have a young man who has just a, amazing instincts at the plate and he has ability to recognize pitches. And, um, you know, you're going to see a guy with great power. He, he was actually my best bunner. He could handle the bat probably the best also. But with a guy... Like like you said, like he has tremendous power, and you don't want to have him bunning. But when we would do a lot of our skill stuff, he was one of the best. And when you have guys like that and who are selfishly like, hey, I will bun if you need me to, because he can. And uh, offensively, you're you're really gonna like what you see because he has great patience. Uh, he can re- he can really hit, and he hits balls hard.
1: I've always said about catchers, it's such a unique position because it's the only position. Where you're looking out at everybody, and everybody's looking into you. It just—it's a—it's a leadership role. It is what it is. It's like a quarterback in football. You're controlling the defense. You're controlling the defensive signs. You're calling the pitches with the pitcher. You need to know every pitcher on the staff. You need to know what makes them tick. Uh, you know, some pitchers, you know, are more gutsier than others. You need to know how guys are under pressure. There's so much that's put on a catcher, that he's got to be smart. He's got to be cerebral. He has to be more than just a talented guy. So as a field general, what kind of kid is he?
0: You know what? He reminded me of uh, Pudge Rodriguez. And I know those, those, are, those are big shoes to talk about. But when I was uh, – I played in Puerto Rico with Pudge, and he always just told me, um, when a guy was stealing, he just kept telling me, don't be late, uh, to cover the base. Just don't be late. Um, and I, once he threw down one time and I realized now I got to get there early because the ball is getting there at such a rapid pace. And when I had to play against him, when I was with the, uh, when I was with the Tigers and he was with the Rangers and he backpicked me and he looked at me and he kind of wagged his finger, kind of like, uh, one of the basketball players would do like, don't, you know, you're not going to do that here. Um, and he was kind of laughing while he did it. Um, and I, I knew exactly what he meant, but Shea is that kind of like, he is the guy who he sees a lot of things. He's going to, uh, recognize infielders. They want to pick, he's going to recognize things that pitchers are doing and being able to help them. Uh, his, his baseball IQ is off the charts. And I think people are really going to like, um, just kind of how he manages things. I mean, I know he went down to a knee to start throwing and Um, I can tell you right now, I don't care if he's standing on his head, the way he manages the game with his arm is pretty impressive.
1: What was that like being at second base and Pudge Rodriguez is throwing that heater? That ball had to be coming harder than any other <laughs> catcher. It's just, I mean, it's its its like he was Nolan Ryan behind the plate.
0: Well, the first time he, he threw down, I thought the ball was going to hit the dirt. I thought it was going to skip, and it didn't, and it got me right in the wrist, and he kind of looked at me, and I was like, yeah, okay, I got it now. Like, this, this ball's going to carry true, and it's going to do it for a while, so – um, I just got to make sure that I catch the ball a little more out front and not let it get to me. Um, but it, it's very similar to that. Like the ball just doesn't die. Most catchers have a ball that are kind of fading um, as it gets to second base. And just like, just like Shay's, like Pudge has just kept going true. And uh, it actually, it almost keeps rising as it's it's going towards you. That's how, that's how much arm strength he has.
1: Our manager and A, friend Reardon was on this program a while ago. And we we're talking about the guys. He was talking about Shay and he goes, you know, one thing you're not you know, one thing you're not going to believe but he's really fast. And forget trusting me, Statcast says he's really fast for a catcher. So we're we're getting a guy with some wheels.
0: Uh, he believe it or not, I mean, he was running 6'8, six, 6'7 six, 60s while he was here. Um and I mean, he he gained so much strength in, in his lower half. Um, just during during his time when I was at, as at Baylor, and he uh, he was actually, I mean, he was one of those guys where you would look at him and wouldn't see he was fast. The next thing you know, he's stealing several bases, and I, he kind of loved it because nobody would think that he would run, and he was able to steal quite a few bags just because he does have speed, but he just doesn't look like it.
1: Well, I got to tell you, we're, we're we're all really excited about him, and you know, my last question on him. You know, When you start talking about catchers, for some reason we have 8,000 catchers in our system, including Sean Murphy, who's 27, just won a gold glove and hits in the middle of our order. I've been saying find a spot for him. DH him like he is tonight. Can he play the outfield? I know he played a couple games for you in the outfield. We just talked about his speed. Where do you think – I need to find him at bats. Where do you think I can put him other than catcher?
0: You can put him at first base. You can put him at third. You can put him in the outfield. Um, shoot, you, you can put him anywhere. He, he's an unbelievable athlete, and that's what's great is that uh, you can put good athletes anywhere, and they're going to find a way. They know how to play the game. They know what the position looks like, and they're going to be able to do it. Shea Lang is that guy. You can put him anywhere, and you're going to be just fine.
1: You know, we have – I, I want to get – some advice for a guy that we have right now, Nick Allen. Nick Allen was a third-round pick. He had signed to go to USC, decided to sign with the A's. He's a shorter shortstop second baseman. So, you know, his entire life people have been saying things to him because of his size. I think about your size is very similar. What advice do you have for a guy that – is trying to make it in the big leagues and he plays up the middle and people have always tried to evaluate him on his size. (laughs)
2: Um,
0: I think the biggest thing is like, you're going to, I always tell people when you're a little smaller, guys are going to constantly tell you what you can't do. Um, And then when you're taller, guys are always going to talk about what you can do. And so the biggest thing is like understanding who you are as a player and then being able to maximize each and every one of those skills um if, if you're a defensive guy if you're a speed guy if you're a hit for average guy just be really really good at that you know if they're saying hey we want you to hit for more power but just understand like you can try that but your other skill set might start to falter uh and the biggest thing is just be as as uh versatile and be the biggest utility guy you can possibly be because the more options you have the more opportunities you're going to have
1: well, continued success there at Texas. We appreciate the time, and uh, uh, maybe we'll be talking more to you about shang Lang and hopefully a very long, productive career with the Oakland Athletics. Thank
0: you so much for your time. I'll tell you what, you are going to love him as a player, but when you have a chance to talk to him, it's going to even be even better because he's such a great young man.
1: Yeah, you be well. Take care. All right, thank you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I played against Steve. He was a hell of a player. And you want to talk about a great guest. I mean, he's everywhere ESPN, but mostly on the morning show. Get up on ESPN TV. Our good friend, Paul Hembakides. you know him as Hembo.
2: Hembo just joined. So where is
3: he? Well, there's big LeBron news. I'm sure you want to start with that.
1: Well, I just, I just want to say that are, – are you at home? I'm at home. So when there is LeBron news as big as signing a two-year extension – ESPN allows you guys to go home and have a life?
3: (laughs) I can assure you. LeBron
1: James signed a two-year extension. You should leave your wife. You should leave your pregnant wife. You should be back in Manhattan, and you should be covering what's happening with LeBron James.
3: This I can promise you, my friend. When at 8 Eastern on the East Coast, you turn on ESPN tomorrow, it'll be awfully early for you guys. You will hear Mike Greenberg say, it's time to get up with the LeBron extension. Yada, yada, yada. I can assure you, those will be the first words you hear on the show. And then from 8 to 8-10-ish, eight I think we'll probably talk it. That, my friends, is a good guess.
1: So I I, I was pretty much going to bet your A block will be LeBron and nothing but LeBron. That's my best
3: guess, too. I've not hopped in the rundown yet tonight. But look, I mean, this is a slow time of uh, a year for shows like mine. We're just making up storylines when it comes to Training camp, right? So LeBron signing an extension is like a bombshell by our standards.
1: All right, we're going to go LeBron one, Dallas Cowboy yeah.
3: training camp two. I mean, look, I mean, how many touches is Zeke Elliott going to split with Tony Pollard? <laughs> There's been a lot of regression there. Over the last three seasons, Zeke has as many fumbles as he has 20-yard rush attempts. So, like, uh, I'm, I'm happy to go there if you are, my friend. Happy to go there.
1: <laughs> What's Nick Saban doing?
3: <laughs> Nick Saban will probably be like towards the bottom of the hour. Nick Saban, I'll tell you what though, Nick Saban does not have as good a tan as you do right now. You look absolutely splendid.
1: Well, let's just say I've been out on the golf course the past few
3: days. I mean, you you look like some bro that like started a like a sunglasses company with all your dropout college friends and. Based on what the, you know, the facial hair that I'm seeing, Cody growing, he, he looks like one of those friends. So you guys have a nice little, nice little deal working. It looks like to me.
1: Well, you gotta remember, I was on, was at the beach for a week in San Diego, and I said, you know what? I was pasty white before I went to San Diego. I got the tan back, and I'm keeping this baby rolling. I
3: I, I very much appreciate it, Cody. I'd love to see your camera if if you if you don't mind, because when I first uh, logged in here it looked like you were wearing like an a's yeah yeah so you are like uh, you look like the, the pitching coach <laughs> Actually, I'm, like, uh, I'm in like the you're going out there <laughs> i'm in our i'm in our a's office that's why i look so nice so you look like are you doing like personnel mapping at the moment Is like <laughs> ma- masquerading as a, as a as a radio sidekick because like you you definitely pass uh, as a moneyball extra, you pass to someone that could be in the front office right now. Like you, you're probably doing high-level decision-making.
1: You know what he looks like? He looks like the third trainer that no one knows. Like he, like every once in a while, comes out onto the field. No one knows. You always know who the head trainer is, but you don't know who the third guy is. And he's got that that kind of top that Cody has on. He he does. He looks like the third guy in charge as a trainer. And that
3: guy, unfortunately, has to be like the hose holder because that guy, you know, pulled out sick. So he's got he's got two jobs today to make to make sure that that everything is functioning at a high level. So it looks like you're running you're running stuff for the scouting department. You're doing the grounds crew stuff. You are the third string trainer. Like this is a this is a quite the operation you guys have running out there. I am wildly hey, impressed. We we Cincinnati. are
1: big league. By the way, we have to have fun, as my notes say. Fifty days left in the schedule a has got 45. We're out. So we have taken a national league team and an American league team to root for. And we will talk about here on A's cast live in the American league to honor my great friend, Ray Fossey. I am. And they play the way I like pitching defense contact, stealing bases. I am going with the guardians in the American league in the national league because of you, your twins, and my love of the great city of Philadelphia. My new National League team is the Fightins. I'm going Phillies. Let's go Fightin' Phils. You're my National League team. Let's get this. As the Mets, uh, DeGrom and Scherzer against the Braves the next two nights getting pretty interesting. Oh,
3: I'll tell you what. That, that sound that you hear in the distance, that sound that you hear in the distance is every executive that works for Fox <laughs> <laughs> calling – Calling their boss and saying they just pitched a Guardians Phillies World Series. We have to be out of this business. That <laughs> would be wreckage. Like the pitching and defense selling point might be cool for you, um, but I'll tell you what that, that team's uh the Guardians uh, is an they're an excellent story this year. Like definitely uh, under the radar. The White Sox are coming strong, but I've been really impressed with with Cleveland's consistency throughout the season. They have boppers in that lineup. Jimenez has been unbelievable. Jose Ramirez is consistently among the best players in the sport. Shane Bieber's not the pitcher he was in 2020, but they always find a way to get out. My money would actually be on Cleveland to win their division, but right now the the Indians, excuse me, the Guardians, um, the Twins, and the White Sox are all separated by one game. That's actually the best race in baseball with so many of these divisions uh, having been sealed so long ago.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. There are so many people. Like I said, the next two nights, you got Braves, Mets, Scherzer, DeGrom, I mean, if the the Braves pull out two and there's only a game and a half, I mean, you know, live in Jersey or New York, there's always that fear of something's going to happen in Mets land. Some decision, some injury, some wild, crazy thing will bring down the Mets. If they lose the next two games, there's going to be panic at the disco. (laughs) We'll start to
3: see. Their owner, Steve Cohen, sending out irrational tweets after drinking expensive wine after games. I'll tell you what, though. <laughs> I, I watched, I've watched every pitch Jacob DeGrom has thrown this year. It's been three starts. I'm not sure that I've ever seen a better pitcher in my life. Now, obviously, we've seen pitchers go much deeper into games. Pedro in 99 and 2000, I think, was practically beyond reproach. We saw Randy Johnson dominate in 2001 in a way that we've rarely seen again, especially in the postseason. There are any number of great half seasons and even full seasons. Kershaw has been unbelievable. Verlander has been unbelievable. But it it feels like an upset if Jacob deGrom doesn't strike you out. Jacob deGrom has been unbelievable, and it dates back to the start of last year. Since the start of last season, he's thrown 108 innings. During that time, the league is hitting 126 against him. He's turned your lineup into nine pitchers. And when I watched him face the Phillies, it was inevitable. Like the best pitchers in baseball are dominant. Jacob Degrom
1: is inevitable. Yeah, but the problem is, I'm going to need four, five, six relievers after him, and that and that and that becomes our problem in baseball because relievers are guys year to year. I mean, Blake Trinan had one of the greatest years ever as a reliever for the A's and the next year was a completely different guy. You don't that you know, if you have a Mariano Rivera or you have a Trevor Hoffman or a Bruce Sutter or one of these guys that lasts forever and and is lights out as a closer, great. But relievers especially now when I'm talking about going deep into your bullpen every single night Yes, like Dylan Cease last night. I I got roped into the Verlander Cease. Cease is out after five. You now need four, five, six guys to finish the game out. I'm so impressed with numbers, but if you're giving it to me for six or five innings,
2: eh.
3: I hear you, kid. I hear you. uh, And it's hard to dispute. The the Mets have, have babied him for years now. Maybe that's been the right approach. Maybe it's not. I'll tell you what, though. How many managers have been able to dial up DeGrom, Scherzer, and then Edwin Diaz on the back end? I mean, that's that's the kind of – and Bassett's been great. Chris Bassett's been great for the Mets. Yeah. I trust Buck Showalter a lot more than i trust the uh, managers of theirs in yesteryear i mean like at minimum he's not sending lewd pictures of himself he generally has an idea what's going on so obviously that's the baseline for the mets manager <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> buck, buck has buck has this team like he's got this team wrapped around his finger I got, it, this, it feels different it feels different here in new york in all
1: seriousness uh <laughs>
3: Vicki Calloway's cell phone to the side for just a moment. Hey,
1: hey, remember, uh, was it last year or the year before someone came up with all the bracket for all the Met problems throughout the years, that bracket—yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, David—David David yeah. pleasuring himself in the in the bullpen. I mean, it had everything in there. I mean, the Mets fans were
3: yearning for the days of Noah Syndergaard having hand, foot, and mouth disease, right? But in all candor, <laughs> in all candor, like that's to make light of that situation with Mickey Callaway, mm. of course. What I'm saying is, the baseline for Mets manager is literally garbage, and so Buck Showalter has this team wrapped around his finger and has generated really a, a, an awesome culture there. Like it does feel a little bit different. The, the owner doesn't seem to be at his wits end on every, on every given night, but obviously they've, they've been operating from a position of strength all season long. Most people that I talk to over here view them as the favorite. Of course, there is some East coast bias naturally, but the Mets feel like a team built for October from where I sit. I'm just not quite sure they can bop enough to win it all. Please
1: tell me, please make my day. Tell me about the panic about the New York Yankees in New York City. I want doom and gloom. I want the panic bus, the panic button. Send the missiles. Send the missiles. I want panic stories.
3: So th- there's a uh, producer on uh, Mike Greenberg's radio show that I work with named Nuno Teixeira. We asked him yesterday, after I delivered some numbers about whether or not you know the, he's worried about the Yankees, <laughs> his first line was, oh, yeah, the season is over. That's how, <laughs> that's how these people are operating. Like th- They have this massive lead in their division, right? They, they have a, a player on pace at like 65 home runs. They've had the best pitching staff in the American League the whole season long. They're just, you know, hitting, a, you know, obviously a bit of a downturn since the all-star break. But these people are genuinely freaking out. But, look, in all candor, like, this is a team that way overachieved early in the season. Like, if you had told me the Yankees would be where they are now at this point, I would have told you I, I'm not seeing it. Like, this is a team I didn't think would even make the playoffs. And that's because, you know, Brian Cashman's building plan here was a little bit peculiar. Now it's pro- been proven to work over the course of a full season here. They, they picked the ball much better than-, than you would have expected. They pitched great. Obviously, Judge is picking up his end of the bargain. But since the All-Star break, if you look at the lineup, like their numbers are effectively – they're the Diamondbacks, the Pirates, the Tigers, plus Aaron Judge. So they're not hitting in 25 games since the All-Star break. They scored 40 runs without the benefit of the home ah. run. They-, they can't scratch across runs. They can't manufacture runs, which is something that they're just – seemingly willing to deal with i'm just not sure, so sure that in a playoff series they they're positioned well if you don't get a homer or two that series from aaron judge or, or Giancarlo Stanton or whomever not to mention the fact that <laughs> in the first half of the season the yankees were 57 and five in games in which they had a lead in the seventh inning or later they were 57 and five in those games since the all-star break they're seven and five In those games. For as bad as the lineup has been, the back end of their bullpen for my
1: money is their single biggest problem. Doom and gloom. Five alarm fire. Oh, you just made my day. Uh let's go to another (laughs) one that the fire the fire hasn't started yet, but it's gonna be here come postseason time. And that's your favorites, the LA Dodgers. They couldn't get it done last year with Scherzer and Walker Bueller. Now no Scherzer, big lead. But no Walker Bueller for the postseason. They're going to cruise into the postseason because they're they're just a steamroller over people. But once we get in those series and you don't have your best starter, how do you feel about the Dodgers?
3: Um, I feel much worse about the Dodgers than I should when you look at the numbers. Obviously, their record is unbelievable. They're going to win 115 games in their sleep. They're outscoring their opponent by more than two runs per game. All right, The last team to do that over a full season – was the 1939 Yankees. That's how good the Dodgers are. They've been unbelievable. The top third of their order is historically good. They've gotten contributions, at least lately, from all over the diamond, whereas during the middle of the season, the middle third of their order was not productive. This team is absolutely stacked. But I don't know why, for the life of me, their general manager did not do a more aggressive play at the deadline in uh, buffering his bullpen because that – group right now ain't good enough i'm not confident that the dodgers are going to win games in which they enter the ninth inning with a one-run lead i'm not that's because they make 24th in era right now in the ninth inning and craig kimbrell can't find his release point if his life depended on it like he was spraying the ball yesterday too he absolutely must be removed from that role and you have to go by committee and let's be honest if we're just gonna be fair and honest about all of this the dodgers should have much more than one world series title since 2017. dave roberts at least in my opinion, has cost them at least one with how he's mismanaged that bullpen over the last five years. And there's no obvious reason for me to believe that he has the right guys back there now. Not to mention, he doesn't have his best pitcher in Walker Bueller. Not to mention, he's going to be lucky if Clayton Kershaw can get him 15 outs in any given game without his back yeah. being thrown out, right? Like, I don't know how they're going to get 27 outs enough times to win the World Series. They, I think they can definitely win plenty of games, eight to six, but they, the Dodgers are going to have to be up six to one entering the ninth inning for me to feel like, <laughs> yeah definitely going to win that
1: game. I'll tell you what, you're going to learn about the epidural shot pretty soon. When's the due date? Um, uh, September 8th. So yeah, you're, you're going to learn, like, when they do that, and you see how big that needle is, and you, you just go, oh my God, and that's, you know what, whenever I heard pitcher, golfer, anybody that has back problems, football player, oh, they're getting an epidural shot. It was never a big deal for me, right? Because I didn't know. Wife was pregnant, epidural shot, and I saw the needle and I went, oh, now I get it. <laughs> that, 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 that's not that's not like, hey, bend over right in your beep and move, shot's over. Bye. I mean, no, no, no. It's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. So Clayton Kershaw, I mean, who knows? By the way, it, it, and, and I know with LeBron James, Dallas Cowboys, college football, everything going on in your world, A's Rangers will not make it in any of the blocks on get up. But you talk about a crazy dumpster dumpster fire series. We just let go Jed Lowry. We end up in Texas against the Rangers in Arlington. We now let Piscotty go. And now today Elvis Andrus go on the other side in their dugout. They fired their manager. And now John Daniels, the president of baseball ops, this is like the Dumpster Fire series of Dumpster Fires.
3: <laughs> the, uh, Yeah, the, the, all the imaginations on your club are curious. But the, the ranger stuff has really caught me off guard. I mean, to fire your manager and your general manager in the same week is uh. really, really bizarre. And to see Chris Young up there with, with Daniels, <laughs> only to, to snipe his job two days later, is so friggin' weird. Now, obviously, Chris Young is very highly regarded in the industry. It's funny, John Daniels. It feels like not so long ago was like this wonder kid, right? And all of a sudden, he's like a senior statesman across baseball. When you look at the way that teams hire general managers, I actually think that's a pretty attractive job. Ownership has obviously demonstrated a willingness to spend. They got the new ballpark. They got a couple studs in the middle of their diamond. A really really good farm system. It's just so wild to me that it's all happening now and happening this way. And I'm always very curious to know, like, what kind of hand John Daniels had in any of the recent things that have happened because. If this is a lame duck general manager, then, then why did he have a say in signing Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon that are going to outlast him by a decade? Like the whole thing is very yeah. bizarre, but that is a, a division where helium is easier to come by than others. So it wouldn't stun me if, if that's that becomes, it was become pretty attractive openings um, potentially and, and they could keep rising. But obviously there's a lot of dysfunction right there and it's sort of hard to cut through it all.
1: You know, I got to tell you, you know, if I ever take anything and I, I test positive for it, I know I'm going to just lie my way out. Whether I, you know, I went to GNC and it was in this bottle of GNC and I don't know what happened or I got ringworm. I didn't even really know what ringworm was until I now had to read about it. I mean, it's amazing. The excuses. I don't know how an anabolic steroid got in my system. I must've liked fell onto a needle somewhere and it just like injected me I mean we've heard the lamest excuses over the years and yeah we the A's we got to raise our hand it's been here too and it's been here recently with Ramon Loriano and Frankie Montas but Fernando tatis I mean this is like if you're man enough to sign a 14-year 340 million dollar contract you're man enough to own up to testing positive it's San Diego, it just goes to show when you ink up guys long term, man, you need to really, really, really be right because this contract, speaking of dumpster fires, boy, does this look bad. And there's a lot of years left on this deal. There's so
3: many items to unpack here. Like there's so many different ways we can take this conversation. I would I would start by saying though, never in my life have I ever seen a player's teammates, a player's manager, a player's general manager, say the things on the record that the Padres said about Fernando Tatis. I found it unbelievable. Effectively, everyone's saying in unison, grow up. You never see it. You never see it. But you saw it here and you saw it all the way around. You heard Joe, Joe Musgrove say, in effect, when they were told that there was Fernando Tatis news, they were relieved to, to learn that he had not died. That's how fast this guy lives. And that's how worried they were and have been about him. He was in multiple motorcycle accidents last offseason, and he still hasn't played since that. So, I mean, if he was already skating on thin ice, I mean, what is he, what is he doing now? I mean, he's, I guess he's treading frozen water. But, I mean, look, there is, there, there, uh, 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 there's a few things of which there are no question. He's obviously a generational type talent. His 162 game average is 48 homers, 31 steals, with a batting line equivalent to the career of Stan Musial. All right, as a young shortstop, he is unbelievably talented. He is also, however, now going to be um, colored by this decision for the rest of his career. And look, dude, don't insult my intelligence. I'm sure you saw what, 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 you know, what wound up happening here with all these you know drugs and side effects and whatnot. Like he and his representation Googled the wrong drug. Like, yes. the, thing he, <laughs> the thing he said he took is called clobetasol, which is what you would actually use for ringworm. His dad a day later went on the radio in the DR and said that he was treating hair fungus. Like
1: guys, get your story together. It's outrageous. <laughs>
3: outrageous don't insult my intelligence did you hear this what pedro had
1: to say like no, pedro no. was like pedro on tbs at first was like he can't do that da, 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 da. but then pedro tried to go into the well you know it's different in the dominican republic you know so many of these kids the language not educated that i mean he started giving him a pass and jimmy rollins was like bro come on like it, even even big poppy Big Poppy basically said, well, we got to think about star players and making them look bad. It's like, oh, my God. Like, what are these guys talking about? Here's the thing. Like,
3: they gave him that contract that you just described, that massive contract that you just described after 143 big league games. Do any of us honestly know what kind of player he actually is? Like, if you, if you start your career that historically good, and at one point you were a prospect that was worthy of being traded for James Shields, like, are you really this good? Like, is it, it's a fair and honest question, is it
1: not? Yes. Well, I mean,
3: we've, we've seen it with our own team. Look out.
1: No, Nate. We've also Skinny kid hitting all those home runs. Skinny kid hitting all those home runs. I mean, Jose Canseco, the great Oakland athletic and former MVP, first 40-40 guy. Jose Canseco told us, and I've had interviews with Jose, if it's too good to be true, and isn't kind of Fernando Tatis, now that we know about this, kind of like when A-Rod, no one wanted to really talk about how A-Rod really started doing this stuff when he was in Seattle, the wonder kid with 200 hits. You really have to start like wondering, like, is this guy really the greatest thing we've ever seen, or maybe there's something to it. And I'm also not convinced that he's the best
3: candidate to be baseball's number one villain, which he will be and should be now. If, if he's playing in a stadium that I'm going to be in next year, I'm going to boo the living daylights out of him because not only did he cheat, but then he had the gall to tell me that he treated ringworm with that drug. Like you have to be bleeping me after you already, uh, you know, recently after signing that contract that you did lived like an absolute idiot all off season. Like he admitted to being in multiple wrecks on his bike. It just doesn't make any sense in the world to me. Like why people are willing to defend him and give him a pass. Like it's one thing to like be young, you know, and make mistakes. What he is doing is not being young and making mistakes. We shouldn't be excusing adults for doing childish things. And if you're on that side of the fence, then I just don't have any time for you.
1: You have trivia? I have trivia. Oh, let's My question for
3: you is this on my way out. So right now, Aaron Judge leads the major leagues in home runs. And obviously, the Yankees, as you well know, aspire to win the World Series. And so my question for you is this. Who is the last player to lead the major leagues in home runs, and win the World Series in the same season. Steve Balboni. Steve, Steve Balboni is incorrect. I don't think he ever did it either. With the Royals? Steve Balboni led uh, – he owns the Royals' single-season home run record. He never, however, led his league in home runs. The highest he ever finished was third, although that was 1985.
1: I was close. I knew he won You're the great. World Series, and he was up there. Because this it's a tricky answer. It happened more recently than Steve Balboni in 1985. What year?
3: 2008. Think of who's asking you this question.
1: That's the Yankees and A-Rod? That was, oh, was oh, 09. No. Oh, it's the Phillies. Uh, Ryan Howard? Ryan Howard is the, the last player to Ryan, do that. I'm going to tell you this, and this is a promise from me to you. If the Phillies win the World Series, I will buy me and you, and I'll hang it right somewhere here in my A's Cast Live studio. I want the Mike Schmidt light blue road jersey. The classic 1980 Philadelphia Phillies light blue Mike Schmidt. He was number 20, right? Mm -hmm. I will buy one for me and one for you. And oh, that's going to go in the, the shrine,
3: shrine, baby. It it. Oh, that sounds absolutely luscious. By the way, parenthetically, ha- having mentioned Mike Schmidt, he is the next most recent player to have done that. In 1980, the last two wow. players to lead the majors in, in a, uh, in homers in a world series winning season are Howard in 08, Schmidt in 80. And those are the only two years the Phillies have ever won the series. Kind of a bizarre note, huh?
1: Well, unbelievable. By the way, so it, it's getting, uh, it's almost go time for you. I got three weeks. I got three
3: more weeks of my everlasting freedom, my sleep, your uh, golf my, my 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 quiet, my golf game, my suntan, my designer uh, haircuts. Is your wife done and like ready to go? She's never been more eager for anything in her life. Yeah. To, <laughs> yeah. to drink it, to drink a hazy IPA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She she wants like she's considering bringing stuff into the hospital, like sneaking stuff into the hospital that she could take a swig of. It's been you know so long.
1: Yeah, it, it's 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 like twins. The pressure on them, it's just so uncomfortable. They can't sleep. It's absolutely miserable. So the whole, like, I love being pregnant. Oh, that's gone. It's like, I'm ready to go. And every day you get closer, it's going to be. And then you're going to have twins and your life has changed. Just to give you an idea, today, my twins started their junior year of high school. Oh, my gosh,
3: dude. How much money is college going to cost by the time okay. my girls are 18 years old? How
1: much do you think it costs in two years? <laughs> That's why I got to keep having you on. I need I need ratings. I need I I mean I got to have great guests like you. I got to get these kids through college.
3: I mean as we established about half an hour ago, Cody's working three jobs for you right now just to try and, just to try to get you the the books and the meal card. So it's uh, everyone's shipping in.
1: <laughs> and, and, and they're like, "Well, we want to go to UCLA or we want to go to Santa Barbara." All places that's really cheap to live: Santa Barbara and Los Angeles. By the way,
3: I, I, I was listening to you guys talking to Roxy real quick, and then I'll let you go. Um, this ridiculousness with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, and like now the Big Ten just has like teams all over the world. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Like, let's imagine like a Rutgers UCLA volleyball game, right? <laughs> it is, it is, it is a shorter flight to travel from New York to Iceland <laughs> than it is to go from New York. To L.A. Like, yeah. it's that far. Yeah. That's what they're doing here. Like, that's the oh, field hockey team is traveling from New York City to Reykjavik to play a friendly. That's what hey, they're doing hey, these days.
1: I can't wait to win Oregon and Washington going to the Big Ten, and you can have that great battle of women's softball, Maryland Terps against the Washington Huskies. That, <laughs> now, that's a conference rivalry I cannot wait for. Bro, I don't understand why they don't just decide, like, we'll do
3: – football for everything. And then for everything else, we'll just keep doing what we were doing this. Like, I understand yeah. why everyone's changing conferences, but like, what's to stop you from doing all of your Olympic sports the same way and then using, and then flying your football team all over the place. Like they're playing for the Patriots? Like to me, that's the sort of clear and obvious solution to all this.
1: Nothing says conference play in volleyball, like the university of Minnesota against USC. <laughs> Welcome. You're looking <laughs> live from Piscataway. We have the California golden bears.
3: <laughs> Taking on the Scarlet Knights.
1: Hey, hasn't it already been like when Nebraska is playing Wisconsin, it just doesn't look right? Now you're going to throw L.A. schools in there?
3: Oh, my God. Seeing, like, USC play, like, a snow game in Michigan in December is going to be real, <laughs> it's going to be so unattractive. It's going to be like seeing uh, Manny Machado field a ground ball in right center field. It's going to be so visually jarring.
1: By the way, you are the best. And you know what? Just because I love you so much, I may set my alarm to get up to watch the star to get up tomorrow and just, just, just get my LeBron James on. I just, just just tell me everything about the extension, two years, all the money. Just tell me if we're going to limit his time. Uh, Are we going to, how many minutes are we going to play him? How many minutes should he play? I'm just, I'm all in tomorrow morning.
3: Listen, you're missing the obvious question, Chris. Can I ask, can I ask you the obvious question? How, How is this going to affect his legacy?
1: Oh, my God. I mean, is, is he the greatest Laker of all
3: time? <laughs> uh, and not, By the way, 930 or so, practically every single day, sneaky hambo time on Get Up. If you like sports trivia, that's when I do mine every single day. I'm going to – heated battle with Dan Graziano, mostly football questions. But who knows? Maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow I'll sneak LeBron James' question in for the first
1: time in Get Up history. I mean,
3: You're, for the 100. You are the
1: best. And let us know when it happens because we have presents coming your way. You're a good man. Take care, buddy. The great Paul Hembakites. We'd like to thank Fran Reardon, Steve Rodriguez, and Paul Hembakites for coming on A's Cast Live and for you to listen for listening to A's Unfiltered. Now back to A's Cast powered by iHeartRadio.
2: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.